0: Welcome to Studying Perinatal Wellbeing, the podcast of the Marseille of North America. This bilingual monthly podcast will allow new and experienced researchers, practitioners, students, and community members to hear about the latest research and community actions on perinatal well-being. I'm Dr. Sandra Luce-Laura Sinosomo, your host. Today's guest is Dr. Sheehan Fisher. He received his PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Iowa, He is an associate professor and perinatal clinical psychologist at northwestern university feinberg school of medicine he is also the associate dean for diversity and inclusion at the northwestern graduate school his research focuses on the effects of perinatal and subsequent parental mental health on infant and child health outcomes he specializes in the emerging field of father mental health he aims to reconceptualize parental mental health research to integrally involve fathers to differentiate parental impact on child's medical and mental health. Dr. Fisher's research dovetails with his perinatal clinical practice, including being the clinical director of the Father's Mental Health Specialty Clinic. He is also chair of the International Marseille Society's Father's Special Interest Group and the MONA Task Force for Spanish-speaking countries. All right. Hello. Thank you. And welcome for joining us, Dr. Fisher.
1: Yeah, Thanks for having me.
0: We're so glad you're here. I like to start by learning a little bit about you. How did you become interested in perinatal mental health?
1: When I was in undergrad, I was thinking about kind of what I wanted to do for my academic career. And I was debating when applying for graduate school, whether I want to go adult or child psych. And perinatal was like that perfect blend of both worlds. So I decided to go into an adult psych program, but really specialized in prenatal health and got extra training within developmental psychology and even inter-parental relationships, like really thinking broadly about the family unit, which allowed me to have best of what I was really interested in.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. We do hear about those kind of shared interests. And so I'm so glad that you were able to pursue that passion and not yeah. have to give one over the other.
1: Exactly, exactly, it was perfect.
0: That's wonderful. Well, your research has helped develop the area of perinatal mental health, particularly paternal mental health. Can you tell us more about how you developed that area of interest and why you think it's important to study?
1: Well, when I was in graduate school, also my advisor, Mike O'Hara, he was, um, of course, focused a lot on mom's mental health. And I was interested in understanding the impact of the father and he let me run with it. I really was trying to figure out, okay, well, one day I plan to be a father and was not in seeing what our mental health looks like and what is our role, how does it affect the child? And so that's where it began during graduate school and built it from there to really understand both parents. Even though I'm many times known as a father specialist, most of my work is mom and dad because I want to look at the parental unit And now even thinking more broadly about birthing, non-birthing parents in general and understanding how partnerships and different family dynamics impact the family health.
0: Yeah, I'll uh, come back to that because I think you touched on that in a keynote you gave at the recent MONA conference. Yes. Um, So you received funding from the National Institute of Health, but I want to talk a little bit about an article you published before we talk about that study. You recently published an article summarizing the research on paternal perinatal mental health. The article suggests screening tools and describes the effects of fathers' mental health on mothers' What are some key takeaways from that article that summarizes this important body of research?
1: Well, I think one of the key takeaways was really thinking about how do we tailor our screening to the individual. Sometimes we have an approach where we do a cookie cutter of one population, apply it to another, rather than really understanding the specifics of a population and gearing our screening and even our interventions to make sure that it's specific to their experience of their mental health and of their parenting experience in general. So that was one key part is just thinking about what measures would be useful for fathers and even understanding even new measures that have been developed specifically for the father experience, but then also thinking broadly about how do we develop studies in general, like how are we making sure that they are inclusive and that if we are doing research in parental health, that we're thinking about both parents and how that impacts a child, especially we're thinking about child outcomes or even understanding how one partner might influence the other. I always emphasize that No one needs to be necessarily a father specialist. Not everyone has to be one, but being informed enough about the population to understand them in general and even understand how they apply to the specific population you're looking at. So if you're focusing on mothers, if they have a partner who's a male partner, that is relevant to understand the impact of that father on the mom.
0: Yeah, very good points. (laughs) What about the role of culture or language in Mm -hmm. that line of work? Have you explored that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I, you know, another thing, of course, I'm interested in is, you know, within DEI thinking about that, even in the perinatal experience. Where a lot of the perinatal research has not been focused on various diverse populations, and it's kind of exclusive of them. In addition to a lot of perinatal mental health research has been very heteronormative. So whether it's about you know racial, ethnic diversity or sexual minorities, we really understand that that's missing from the research that we have, and therefore our interventions may not be as applicable to supporting them. So we do need to think about more inclusive inclusivity in our research design. And not only just the NIH guidelines are really awful about where is their pockets of gaps within the research area, and how do we make sure that this work that we're doing is applicable to all the different populations within the U.S.? That also includes the language, because even though, once again, a lot of the perinatal work that we do is so English-focused, you know, there is a diversity in language, and specifically in the U.S., a lot of individuals speak Spanish, for example, But we don't have many researchers who are trained and speak Spanish or even understand the Latinx culture. And we need to make sure that we are, even when we're thinking about bringing in grad students and thinking about researchers in different faculty positions, make sure that diversity exists there to ensure that the population's need is being met.
0: Absolutely. Actually, that segues perfectly into funding you received from the National Institute of Health that focuses on father's support of mother's mental health treatment and their active engagement in the family to reduce maternal stress. What can you tell us about that study?
1: Well, this study, I initially designed it to really focus on supporting the mom's mental health by utilizing the father within the home. I noticed that within the research and and like the intervention that we develop, a lot of times we focus on medications specifically for the mom, where in the clinical setting, the mom will have to decide on the medication alone, and then take the medication. Then when we have therapies, we you know we meet with the mom once a week, and then she goes home and has to put that in, implement it in addition to working full-time and taking care of the child. And many times, just because of societal gender norms, a lot of the household responsibilities fall on her, and it just feels like we're piling up on the mom. So this intervention was designed to try to offset that by training the father on how to support the mom's mental health. And there was key parts of this intervention One is just for them to understand what is mental health and, you know, what is depression and anxiety for the father. And then for them to understand what can they do to help the mom, you know, either follow the homework she's doing or behavioral activation or making sure that she has time for breaks where he takes over the household responsibilities so she has time to take care of herself. The other part was just really training fathers on how to be involved with the child from not only the postpartum period and giving training on how to change diapers and burp a baby and engage with the baby, but even during the prenatal period about what is their role to support the mom and to also take on personal responsibility for getting the home ready and getting the mom ready and the different logistics, such as getting a pediatrician to ensure it once again didn't fall on the mom's shoulders. In addition to that, we taught the fathers different type of interparental relationship skills, learning how to deal with conflicts and how to communicate effectively. And in this way, reduce some of the factors that typically cause stress on the mom during the postpartum period when there becomes less satisfaction in the relationship. And then finally, last but not least, we taught the fathers and talked about how they can have an equity in the split of household responsibilities. What we noticed is that fathers are tending to get a little more involved in the home, but it's still not equal involvement within the home, but also the idea that sometimes they might cherry pick. So the goal was for them to, before the baby is even born, to sit down together and think about what will be an equitable split of the household responsibilities, and if there's a skill set that the father doesn't have, they have now time to start to practice it and train themselves in it before the baby comes to ensure that once the baby is here, they are really an equitable team working together and supporting the family health, but specifically addressing moms and reducing the risk of the mom developing depression. So the intervention was all done during the prenatal period and then we'll follow up postpartum to see how the parents were doing. Um, Unfortunately, the study was uh, funded right during the pandemic so we struggled a little bit with recruitment. So we are starting to think about other ways to make sure that we can complete the study to get the full data.
0: Yeah, that sounds, I can imagine a lot of tips for partners to consider as they're preparing for their first or second or subsequent child. There are always lessons to be learned from prior experiences, but also from what science has to offer. Um, So you said there were some challenges around recruitment because of the pandemic. How about recruiting fathers in general into this type of research? How's that been?
1: Well, recruiting fathers in this research in general... um, You know, we talk to different individuals about this because many of us do find it difficult because historically fathers were not as much engaged within the perinatal period. We don't have like a history, even just generally as a culture, to make it inclusive of fathers. When we think about even just different hospital systems, that even the language that's used around it, they are typically exclusive of the father. So part of the thing we're working on is trying to help fathers understand that they do matter within the family unit and that they do have an impact and that they also have a responsibility in the home. And therefore, over time, hopefully that helps to change the culture around engagement in different parts of the perinatal period, including involvement in research. So there's different ways we try to address that. Some of it's just creating buy-in for fathers, like I said, education, so they know what's valuable, but also helping them to even see the benefit of it For themselves that talking about their own mental health is actually rewarding that they can have a better quality of life and that this will actually have a direct impact on the people that they love
0: well so there are some direct benefits to the participants in this case the fathers but also you will see some benefits hopefully for the mothers how about the child
1: yes like that's the other part is that fathers sometimes assume that they're they don't have an impact on the child and sometimes unfortunately Unfortunately, we make the same assumption, but there has been studies, including one of the studies I did a few years ago, showing that even after we control for the mother's impact on the child's health outcomes, that the father uniquely has an impact on the child's health. And that matters because when we do interventions, if we only focus on the mom and get the mom well, that child is still vulnerable and at risk that the father is also not doing well.
0: Yeah, so that's an important point to make that it really is a family system approach that you're taking.
1: Yes. Yeah,
0: that's wonderful. And it's excellent to think about these different types of households that, as you said earlier, sometimes we think about the family as very gender normative where there's a father and a mother, but that's not always the case. We have a diverse population that has very different family systems that we need to respect. They are still equally important. And in fact, you raise some of these issues In the keynote address you gave at the MONA conference in October, what were some of your key takeaway messages for those who might have missed that important presentation?
1: Well, one of the things was just highlighting how within the perinatal field, we do think in a heteronormative way. And we know that historically, even within the medical field, there's been exclusion. Like, for example, many studies in the past used to focus only on men for medications and then apply it to women. And we saw like the disastrous effects that could have. And then similarly, sometimes the research will only focused on white individuals and not look at other black and brown individuals and apply that research to them. And once again, it's problematic. But unfortunately, we are taking a similar path where we do a lot of research or the primarily our research is either done or presented as heteronormative families, but then we try to apply it to all families. And one, to me, the key finding or even something to consider is that, you know, for the Generation Z, about 20% of these individuals identify as queer. And therefore, once they are starting to have kids, a lot of our work will not be applicable to them. We'll be missing about 20% of the population. So a lot needs to be done to, for us to think and rethink how we approach and understand family units, not only for sexual and gender identity, but the family makeup, the dynamic, and really try to make sure our research is really inclusive of all families. I know, for example, that Liesl Lapincar is a researcher within the perinatal field who focuses a lot on sexual and gender minority families, and is even the chair of the sexual and gender minority special interest group within the Marseille Society, who's really leading this work. And I encourage all to kind of engage within some of the products that will be coming from that special interest group and from her work and other individuals who are focusing on this area.
0: Yeah, that's an important point to make, that we need to plan now for the diversity in our populations. Because yes. we have it now, but it's very likely to grow. And so, in terms of trying to grow that awareness, you are the associate dean for diversity and inclusion at the Graduate School at Northwestern. How does that work? Inform your research, and how does your research inform your role as the associate dean?
1: Well, it shows us the value and the importance of it. Like for my associate dean position, I will be focused or I am focusing on working with the graduate students within Northwestern. And understanding that individuals, they are, many students are very talented and intelligent and have a lot of promise, but need to make sure that they're feeling supported and have an environment where they feel like they belong. And that I think is similar to what the work within the perinatal field is that if we don't incorporate you know, true diversity and inclusion in our work, many of our our families within the United States are not gonna feel like they belong within that medical field and maybe won't be receiving the medical treatment that they deserve, or as mentioned, like the respect and consideration that they deserve. So we really have to take it as a personal responsibility to ensure that we aren't just taking a easy way out for what we consider as a norm, but really being inclusive in our work.
0: Yeah, and helping our, our field become aware of this implicit bias is going to be important as well, because like you said, much of the training has been very heteronormative, very focused on one particular gender or one particular racial ethnic group, really more uh, racial groups. But what you're doing is really trying to prepare the workforce for the diversity we have now and the diversity that's growing. Exactly. That's wonderful. That's really important work, and I'm glad that you're able to do that. It's such an important role from an administrative p- position, because if students feel welcome, they're probably more likely to engage in the research and stay in this profession.
1: Yes, and we need the research to be diverse because otherwise we just have kind of speaking to the choir and doing the same work all over. But having diverse thought actually improves the science that we create.
0: Yeah, and scientists will benefit from that diverse thinking as
1: well. Exactly.
0: Yeah. What are some research-related lessons that you have learned over the years that maybe emerging researchers can benefit from?
1: Well, I think for emerging researchers to understand that their different diverse thought is really powerful for broadening the field and really making sure that the outcomes that we're, or the results of the work that we're doing within science is really impacting a broader audience. So one, I always encourage the emerging researchers to be bold in their thought and to not be shy about presenting their own points of view, but in addition, understanding that this is something that is going to have a broad impact. Like for me, as I said, when I went into graduate school, thinking about being a father, that wasn't necessarily what the work was being done in general within the perinatal field. But me having the thought to actually bring that up to a supportive mentor gave room for really burgeoning this field and something that was essential to understanding the perinatal work. So, I think that many individuals have the, their own different diverse thought and can be really beneficial, but I, I am concerned that sometimes students don't feel supported or are worried about the opinion of, of their diverse thought, and we want to make sure that we're creating a mentor relationship with them that's actually supportive to help this, the field grow.
0: Yeah. So that's a message for the mentors out there or people who aspire to be mentors to be open to this diverse thinking. Yes. Wonderful. And so what is your vision or hope for perinatal mental health research in five to 10 years?
1: Well, I would hope, especially for my goals, would be really just broadening out the different aspects of diversity. There's a lot more that needs to be done for inclusion of fathers and broader to non-birthing parents and birthing parents. We need to think about getting away from an English primary way of thinking about even how we do our work and how we hold different events and educational experiences, making sure that language, the diversity in language is inclusive so that everyone has a chance to be a part of and to be able to learn from the different environmental or educational environment that we create. And really just thinking about the different pockets of groups. Like, for example, we don't do as much work within Latinx populations or Middle Eastern, especially African American and Black population, you know, indigenous or so many different groups who we still don't understand their experience and understanding how their cultural experiences and the effect of being in the US and the impact of our societal norms has on their mental health and their family development. So I would really hope that we start to really take a purposeful effort to making sure that we have more inclusion on racial and ethnic diversity, social and gender minority, and thinking about that even within linguistics. Those
0: are great hopes. And I think that you're really helping pave the way for that line of work. So thank you for that.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So before we end, do you want to add anything before we close the conversation?
1: Um, only thing I would just highlight is that the Marseille Society has done a great job of creating different special interest groups. so encourage people to join in with them and to be involved. Like the more people are involved, the more we can have more diverse thought and communication around these different topics. And of course, when it comes up for the Marseille Society it has this conference come up in Barcelona. And then in a couple of years, we'll have our next Monica conference. I'm really hopeful to see more diversity in our abstracts to make sure that we have opportunities for different symposiums or are focused on different special populations.
0: That sounds like a cool message. And I hope that our listeners hear it and share it with others. Thank you so much, Dr. Fisher. This has been so wonderful. We so appreciate your time and your contributions to the science.
1: Thank you for inviting me once again.
0: Thank you for joining Studying Perinatal Well-Being. Please see our show notes on the Mona Podcast website for more information about today's guest. We always look for great perinatal well-being students, community members, researchers, and practitioners to interview. So please email your suggestions to monapodcast at Marseynortham.com. That's monapodcast at m-a-r-c-e-n-o-r-t-h-a-m dot com. Until next time, practice compassion for yourself and others.